Hi everyone, it's Dr. Denise, and this is the Embrace Your Neurostyle and Beyond series. And I'm humbled, I'm absolutely humbled and grateful to welcome Rob Schwartz, who's the son and editor of his father's book on aging titled The Wisdom of Maury. Rob, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm humbled and grateful to be here. Wow. So I think it's almost like I mentioned a little bit to you off show. I have this phrase called the kiss on the cheek from the universe and paying attention to this moment and who comes into our life and what we're aware of. I call it the kiss on the cheek from the universe. So your father's book was in a drawer or you knew about it. You actually had time with him in this four month hiatus of your own travels to really, you know, this is your father. And now this book is being birthed right now. Can you tell all of us the process of the birthing and what this is like for you? Sure, sure. Well, it seems that that you have some of the information already. That's correct. In 1989, I came back from traveling in Asia, some places that you would love. Uh, I have to mention it since you have a spiritual orientation. I came back from traveling uh, particularly in Tibet to a place called Mount Kailash. I do mention this in the essay, in an essay in the beginning of the book, which is considered the holiest place on earth for Hindu and Buddhist and the traditional Tibetan religion called Bon. So that's a lot of people in the world. (laughs) There's a lot of Hindus in the world. So yeah, Mount Kailash is an incredibly powerful place, and I would encourage you to look it up and possibly even go there if you can. I I had... Very remote remote in southwestern Tibet, yeah. I had an ethereal experience right when you mentioned it, and my, you know, this shows all about perception and sensory awareness and psychology, and your your father, I believe, in spirits, really excited about our meeting right now, and right when you mentioned Mount Kailash, I got lightning bolt chills. I wanted to let you know I feel very blessed. Mm. I did travel to India two times. Nice. In 2018, I was very fortunate to represent the United States on nurturing children's mental health at the Tibetan oh. Medical Society of His Holiness. Wow. And so, nice. Yes. And I also feel very, very honored that the Oracle of Tibet had me in his home and was talking with me about wow. sensory perception and autism. And so I have a connection to that, those deep, deep ethereal roots. And right when you mentioned that mountain's name, I, I haven't been there, but I feel like I have an impossible if we believe in other reincarnations, it really was like exciting when you mentioned it. So thank you. Right. right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, wow. Well, that's very, very, um, you know, great that you have that connection to Tibet and also to India. I have a long connection with both Tibet and India, so we can talk about that later if you like. So just to continue the story, um, yeah, I, uh, I had come back from this long trip and I was at home here in Newton, Massachusetts, and I got to spend three months or so with my dad at the very time that he was writing this book. So I got to talk with him about his ideas and, you know, ruminate, and he was very eager to hear my response, even though he was um, aiming this book at aging people, and I was very young at the time, in my 20s or what have you. But um, we had a great time, and then I moved to Japan, 
And I lived there for a long time. When my father got ill, I came back and forth between Japan and um, the Boston area. And as everyone knows from Tuesdays with Mori, he passed away. Um, I continued to live in Japan and then continued to visit my mom in Newton in the same house that my father had lived. And I used to use his study. I'm a journalist. I would write my articles in his study on his desk. And one day I just decided to open the drawers to see what was in there because my mother had kept his study exactly as he had had it when he was alive. Not, not a thing, single thing was moved. So it kind of felt like he was still there, obviously. And I, I'm, I'm getting little like smiles and little, uh, by the way, everyone, I've lit a candle in honor of Maury and also Rob. And my process is I'm here with Rob, but I also feel the essence. I know this is not, I've never met Maury and this is your sacred father, but I just got like, right when you mentioned the drawer, I got like, almost like when you blush with happiness. I just wanted to share that with you. That's sweet. Yeah, I think the energy trans transcends and transforms across in whatever form. I think that different people feel it and experience it in different ways, but we, we can talk about that as well. Um, so just to finish the story, I found the manuscript, and of course I recalled all the conversations with my dad, um, which had been at that point 12 or more years, 13, 14, 15 years earlier. And... Um, because Tuesdays with Maury at that time, right when I found the manuscript was still a huge bestseller, I realized that I would be able to do something with this manuscript. There would be a, an interest in it. And um, it was a very long process to edit it. And uh, my mother helped tremendously. And I also had to work through a lot of you know feelings and grief because it took me a long time to grieve for my father. But now we have it, the wisdom of Maury, um, uh, aging joyously and creatively. It's incredible. So with absolute reverence for your father's viewpoints on psychology, sociology, mm. existentialism, mm. and what I love about the book, and I'm interested in how you, I know you and your mom did an exceptional job editing it. And you mentioned your father loves to do these deep dives when he's explaining mm. things, which mm. this when we talk about neurostyle, I define that as we all process and perceive information in our own unique way. Right. right. And it's multidimensional. And I talk about the fabulous five biological, psychological, social, cultural, spiritual, right. coupled with sixth sense intuition. Mm. So the I'm holding the book in my hand. I've it I've, it feels energetic. And your ability to, to release this right now and really honor all the shades of perception and the way your father deep dives. I would love for us to mm. just discuss his deep dives are like going into a deep dive masterclass recipe book oh, of all the different ways you can think and talk and inspire one to think about themselves and their own, what I call their own I am awarenesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, what my dad was trying to do on many different levels, as you've, um, you know, perceived, is get people to open up 
in in ways that they maybe had not before because he was concerned, you know, the aging people sometimes kind of withdraw from life or feel that their life is over or they have nothing left to contribute. And he was really trying to combat that idea. So he wanted to combat it on so many different levels. You know, you can do this, you can do that, you can... Um, I mean, he stresses, as I'm sure you know, in the book that that it's important to make a spiritual connection, whatever that means for for the individual in aging, in in um, the last stages of your life when you're you know retired or what have you. You have time to think about those things and put your energy into that. Yes, and I love your in the beginning of the book this exact statement of yourself. I think dad would be very happy about this because it reflects one of his favorite philosophical models, the tension of opposites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we discuss that and how, Absolutely. Absolutely. how that really is paramount in the way your father's perception and his stream of consciousness is to get us all to think deeply? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also interesting, I mean, because I can tell you're, you're very well read and know about a, a whole wide range of different things. I mean, this idea where it's crucial to my father's thinking, and we'll certainly talk about that, is one that's also deep in both Western and Eastern philosophy, right? I mean, the whole idea of yin-yang is essentially tension of opposites. And many Western philosophers have discussed this idea. For my father, it meant it was a really, you know, personal and direct thing. It wasn't super abstract. So, for example, we can take hope and despair, as my father explains it in the book. You're, you're never going to be fully one or the other. And in fact, you can't really have one without the other. That's one of the keys to the tension of opposites. You need to have both for the whole system to exist. So my father was saying, yes, of course, we want to avoid despair you know, if possible, but if you fall into it, don't think that this is the end. Realize that this is always a continuum and you're always going to be somewhere along the continuum. So you need to accept the fact that despair, you know, as an example here, exists and accept it into your worldview, into your life. And of course, try and create a balance between the two. That's, that's the key in the tension of opposites, creating a balance. And what I love in all the concepts and discussing different feeling states and the tension of opposites in this book and the way you were able to convey you and your mom and really get across, I love the structuring of the book, that when there's a point made, there's the italics and then the way it's written allows one to join in like Imagine you, Rob, and myself and the listeners. Mm. Imagine mm. a cartoon bubble coming out of your own mouth <laughs> yeah. of all the curious questions you can ask yourself yeah. about your own tension of opposites. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I really, I'm, I'm being very honest with you now, Denise. I've done a lot of interviews and you're the first person that's really latched on to that particular thing. And believe me, it's extremely intentional, not only in the way my father wrote the book, but also in the way that I designed the book. When I got a publishing deal, I told them, this is what I want. I want different typefaces. I want parts of it to look as if it's handwritten. I want color throughout this book. So even in the pages, you know, not only on the cover. I noticed that. The red. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's more than just red, but the red stands out, of course. Um, and that's all extremely intentional to do exactly what you've pointed out, which is involve the reader, sort of try and create this atmosphere. That this is a conversation that you're participating in and, you know, how you react to it and the feelings and the thoughts that you have are going to be unique to you. And hopefully you can integrate them into what my father is saying. And of course, my father's, you know, fundamental academic field is social psychology. So this is something that he was extremely aware of, you know, people's psychology in approaching life or in approaching this book. Hand on my heart. I have a multiplicity of feelings. Mm. I just want to tell you that you absolutely, you, your mom and your father in spirit and the way you interpret and know and love your father, mm. knock this multidimensionality perception awareness to invite the reader out of the park. Mm, thank you so much. Well, that that's the intention, you know, and we certainly tried our best. It's obviously, you know, 99.9% .9 my dad. Um, I, I don't know if I stressed when I told you the story. When I pulled that manuscript out of the desk, it was complete. It was completely finished. Some other people have like incorrectly stated that I put this book together from my father's notes or diary or something like that. That is, that is not correct. This was completely written from the first line to the last line. I added a few essays and of course I had to edit it very, very carefully because uh, my father wrote it over four year period. So there was a lot of repetition and that sort of thing. But the, the thoughts and the ideas and the message and the structure of it are 99.9% .9 are all him. So, you know, that that's what he intended. And you've definitely latched on to the, the fundamental, you know, um, thing that he's putting out there and the, the style in which he's doing it. And I want to thank Maury as a paradigm progression pioneer mm. of true integration. Mm. And I am passionate. I spoke about this in India and I speak about this throughout all the different series and what I call ascension experiences on earth mm. in this multimedia time we're living in. And what I love is that there's a true integration, like you said, of East meets West. I like to think when you're giving content to help light people up, whether it's in a book form, movie, film, you want them to be experiencing the experience. Yes. And in chapter four, I want to just talk about what really excited me. And I'd like to talk about awareness, self-love yes. yes. and altruism. Yes. I call those fundamental. Yes. For mind, body, and soul health. I spoke mm. about this in India. Mm. And it was such a treat. And the way I savored this book, when I receive books and I receive, I think of them as transmissions and energy frequencies, because mm. all words, thoughts, and actions have vibration. Mm. I, my process is I let myself experience it and I don't rush the experience. Because when there's such levels of wisdom, when we're experiencing something, we really need to take it in. So I think that mindful shush and mindful pause. Mm. So I just want to read chapter four, the title, Expanding Our Awareness. Mm. And on that page, when you all get this book, there's a light color pattern. So we've mm -hmm. got some, aha, pay attention. And I just want to read the quote that was started. Uh, Our freedom extends 
only as far as our consciousness reaches. And this is by Carl Jung Ooh. in Alchemical Studies. Did you pick that quote or was that a quote? No, my father picked all of the quotes. Oh well, I shouldn't say all, like 99%. I added uh, a couple or we had to edit a couple here and there. But no, absolutely, my father picked that quote. And of course, you know, he was a social psychologist, so he was deeply deeply, you know, familiar and, and um, expert in the thoughts of Freud and Jung and all the psychologists and psychiatrists and theoreticians that followed him up until, you know, my father's day, which he was, that was his whole field, right? And I wanted to actually comment when you said he was um, groundbreaking or, you know, um, on the cutting edge, it's really true. And it goes back all the way to the 1950s um, in the book, uh, there's an essay, I think you've probably seen it. My father published a book in 1954. Oh, called I was trying to find it. Sorry to interrupt you. I was trying to yeah. find it. I couldn't find it. That's fine. Um, I think I write about it in, uh, there's two essays, one in the beginning and one in the, in the back. I'm not sure, one or the other. Um, and so the mental hospital was this huge, groundbreaking watershed work, which um, made my father sort of a little superstar in the social psychology field. And the thing that he was emphasizing in that book, which nobody had ever thought about before, was the relationships between people has a huge effect on other people, on the people around them. So in this case, the relationships between the doctors, the relationships between the nurses have a huge effect on the, pa the mental patient, the person in the mental hospital who needs help. Nobody had ever thought about that before. My father didn't write about it as a spiritual dimension, but I think that we can easily understand it that way, that the energy that's flying around the hospital is obviously going to affect the patient, whether you think about that in spiritual terms or really concrete terms. And this was, you know, uh, some realization for the field and had a huge effect on treatment after that. So that goes all the way back to the 50s. In the 1970s, my father started a low-cost mental health care in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Greenhouse, which was particularly oriented towards people who didn't have the financial means to afford a therapist. Because, you know, back in the 70s, it was very expensive to get mental health care. Insurance didn't cover it. They didn't even have a thought of that, you know. So my father and a group of like-minded people created a, a collective to offer mental health care. And they had what they call the sliding scale, which meant you paid what you could. And if what you could pay was zero, then that was fine with them, you know? So it was essentially a, a, um, a group of people who were working for free to offer mental health care to underserved communities. So this was some, you know, theme that went throughout his whole life. And, uh, Later, just can I can I interject what I got when you were telling that story? Because I just want yeah. you to know my perception. I'm here, but I also get just downloads. Mm -hmm. And as we're using words, Maury wants us to remember to keep it. I'm just going to say it, and this is a quote sure. in the book, but I have to say it right now, and I'm going to say it three times. Mm -hmm. Stay human. Mm -hmm. Stay human. Stay human. Right. And his perception and what you're talking about and the way you've described this book, and this is your father, you know how he's touched people's lives, but that words can unify us and they can make the, they can divide us. So when we were saying spiritual, you know, some people, I, I'm fine. I, I understand my perception of that is not just wearing white and saying, oh, right. 
And so what I love about your father's wisdom integration of East meets West, it's very practical. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we look at movies like Harry Potter and we've got the muggles and then we've got people with, you know, different energy belief systems or what we would call ascended masters here on earth, the gift of your father's perception and his written word and your transmission and integration and editing of it is it shows us all that we have these feeling states, these perceptions, and he, it's an engagement. It's asking you to be more present in this moment of now through creativity. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, we can talk about a lot of the particulars, obviously, as you can see, I like to talk about my father's, you know, biography. No, I of- want to talk about that. I'm going to hold sacred space. Yeah. Let's really bring in the fact that, you are his son. Yeah. And I have um, a vulnerable share myself. My grandmother passed away with Lou Gehrig's. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. And no, thank you for that. And so I just want to tell you that the level of deep empathy for anyone suffering at the end of our lives, for all of us is there, but there's different types of medical challenges we have. And I, it was such a traumatic time for me losing her the way she was so fun, Rob, when my grandfather was taking care of her, they were very blessed that he had the energy to care for her in the home. Yeah. And he, he, they had a whiteboard and when she was, when her motor skills were shutting down and her mind was just still sharp as a whip and great sense of humor, she wrote on the whiteboard to my grandfather, I am becoming a real pain in the ass, aren't I? And so I just, that humanistic, her spirit and her grace with aging and suffering, I just felt like I just have this, the Lou Gehrig's ALS is a tough, tough Mm. disease. Mm. And I don't know for you, if you want to, I know we want to celebrate your dad's biography, but I just want to have the human component of compassion for yourself, Mm. your Mm. mother and your family. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk about that for a long time. And obviously, I spent a lot of time with my dad when he was ill. And it is a very, very difficult disease. In the other, from the other side, and I'm sure your, your grandparents, you know, looked at it this way as well. In some ways, you know, it's a blessing to know kind of how much time you have left and to, to really make that time that you have left special. My dad and I were able to discuss like everything from from my early childhood up until that day about our lives and what we experienced and what we remembered, you know, and that was a real blessing. Not that wasn't that losing him and seeing him suffer like that wasn't incredibly difficult. But, you know, like you, we've talked about the tension of opposites. It was a blessing in some ways. In other ways, it was really, really difficult. But yeah, ALS is a very tough disease. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to also... I feel like Maury, at the time that this was written, I like to talk about there's different eras in history. Mm-hmm. And this was in the late 90s, where uh, it was, wait, no, was it written for a 80s. while, but late 80s? The 80s okay. To the early 90s, yeah. Okay. So the, I call it the pulse of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So the other way, and not only your father's integration, but the way he was thinking. At age 67, when he first started having physical ailments, the way he went from realizing he had all these years 
with no health issues. Mm. It's almost like he jumped off a high dive mm. of awareness yeah. of yeah. what it's like to go into the discussion of ageism and mortality and morbidity. So I feel like this book, The Wisdom of Mori, also was very inspired by him doing his own deep introspection of what it was like now to start to have asthma, to start to have these ailments. Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. There's physical ailments and there's also a psychological component to it as well, which my father discusses in the beginning, which is that he never thought of himself as an elderly person, right? My father always had this incredible life energy. He was very involved with his students at Brandeis University. Of course, college students are, you know, between 18 and 22 years old, or maybe a little bit older if they're graduate students. But he always had this incredible youthful energy about him. And when he turned 70, the university forced him to retire. That doesn't exist anymore but it did at the time. So then he realized that the university and society at large viewed him as this elderly person, though he had never really viewed himself that way. And he needed to investigate like what that meant. And he realized that there was this huge ageist component to it, which was really negative. And he further realized that he had kind of internalized this ageism that everyone, you know, just sort of accepts or at that time accepted blandly without realizing it's just poisonous, right? Elderly people can do whatever they want. They have incredible knowledge and life experience and to, to, you know, try and push them into some passive role, just waiting to die is so ridiculous. So it was an internal uh, realization of, you know, ageism that had been internalized and also in society um, that really pushed him to start writing this book. You've hit the nail on the head. And of course, there was physical challenges. As you said, he developed asthma at that age, 67, and they got it under control after a while, which he writes about in the book. But of course, not covered in this book is the fact that afterwards he developed ALS. But the physical challenges are certainly part of expanding awareness. And I think that that's true. I mean, if people come across physical things that they didn't have before, that can often spur greater awareness. Yes. You know, I, we talked about the fundamental awareness, self-love and altruism. And I like to talk about moments of now and series of crisis, Mm -hmm. stabilization and thrive moments throughout our day Mm -hmm. and throughout the different history epochs. Mm -hmm. And so when your father was introspective about his asthma and his attitude of like, I'm going to, I'm going to travel anyways, like even if it is lots of pollution, damn it. So that spirit of, okay, I have this, but kind of like going into your own suffering. And that's where the secret sauce is. Cause that's where we have the most energy to alchemize and ascend, but it doesn't mean that being human isn't tough. It doesn't mean that we don't get frustrated. And your father also discusses the importance of balancing your energy, that everything's energy. So making your decisions at different times in your life and inviting us to think about who we want to spend time with, how we want to be. And I want to let you know the other reason why the serendipity of our interviews. So like I'm awestruck is that five months ago, I decided to go even deeper in my own Mm self-awareness. And as I was reading Dolores Cannon's book, Life Between Death, she's done 
45 years of hypnotism and regression. She's in the other realm now as well. But I decided to look at my life as though I'm at, like, I'm done. Like I'm like, like a life review. Right. And I, I do this in different ways. It's not the first time I've ever done this, but I did it in a more paramount way where I went to a time in my life that was a lot of, like I had, a, I don't want to make it. I just did a life review. Let's just put it that okay. way. Okay. Five months ago. Okay. And I did the life review and I was really happy. Like, let's talk about the way you edited your dad's views on all the questions we can ask ourselves about how we're living. How are we living? In fact, when I was thinking about how much this was inspired about his realization of ageism, I also realized that this book is also about living, that every single tip in this book can be for anyone at all ages. And it just, it just can be applied in such a universal way. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I mean, my father was, was positioning it towards aging people, but the tips and the insights can absolutely be used by everybody. And I think that we live in a society today somewhat different than 30 years ago when this was written, where people who are not aging are, you know, depressed and and it's a, a kind of hopelessness that sometimes is felt by aging people. So I think that this book is absolutely applicable to anybody of any age, especially if they're having struggles or questions about meaning or something like that. And yeah, my father, as you know, since you've read it, he outlines many direct techniques like this. If you're having issues or, you know, if you want to move forward, try this, try this, try the next thing, right? There's specific techniques in there that can help people of any age without a doubt. The other thing that I think is really important in honoring your father's words and his belief system is the way he discusses community and individual sovereignty Mm. and the way it's described where there's tangible examples of Mm. when you're when this talks about loneliness and having a sense of greater connectedness Mm -hmm. which so there's the specific physical places to go and be and then there's ways in your own i call it your own mindscape your own universe that you can be creating that very enriched sense of community in the way you interact in every moment of now. Can you do some deep dives on those examples in the book? Right, right. Well, that that is an interesting one because um, if you're specifically referring to the last part of the book, the appendix on caring communities, correct. That is, that's actually something that I considered very deeply and also with my mother um, as to whether or not we should include it. Because as you can see, the book is really about the individual and how you can move your life forward and have a fuller experience, increase your awareness, as you said. And I actually like to get back to that because I think that's a really crucial aspect of this book. But to answer your question, um, yeah, but my father obviously was also, since he taught courses that were called like group process and how we relate to each other, you know, as a society, that was one of his academic orientations. He wanted to include this, this chapter as well. And I decided that, okay, as an appendix, it's, it's something that people can consider. What kind of community are we creating? Of course, in the book, he talks about being involved in your community, in your local community is a crucial aspect of 
moving forward as an elderly person, not withdrawing, not staying in your room, but being involved in your local community, creating no new relationships, learning things from these new relationships that you create. And the, the caring communities and the extension of that, he wanted to just show, as you know, since you've read the book, there's just tons of examples and stories about what my father is trying to convey. So these are examples of what is possible in different kinds of communities. And some of them are very famous, like Fintorn, and some of them are less famous. But my father wanted to give examples of like, if we all had a positive outlook, and as you say, compassion and uh, expanding awareness, look how wonderful life on earth could be. That, that's the examples that he's trying to give in, in that appendix. Well, I'm smiling, and I love that you and your mom added the appendix and expanded on it. Included, included, included it. Included I mean, my it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wanted to do a little bit more of a discussion on the importance of awareness. Right, because this in some ways is the whole key to the book, awareness and compassion. And since you're so, you know, spiritually learned, and I mean that sincerely, you'll realize that these ideas come directly from Buddhism. Right. So, so wait, I'm just, is, wait, by the way, I just have to shush myself with gratitude and excitement. Yeah. And I'm going to share this with you because okay. it's an interview. And I, at this exact moment of now, in this exact last month, a co-creation, because I'm an adult and child psychiatrist mm-hmm. that integrates the universal truths. We wrote song lyrics oh, wonderful. of a song called Love Your Neurostyle. <laughs> and it's with, it's literally about thank you, thank me, thank us. I am happy. I am. Pe-. It's a universal song. Oh, nice. nice. That then parallels with the children's ascension experience book that's in evolvement. Oh, nice. So the, nice. the what are the chances of the humility and gratitude of spending time with you, and the character in the book? You right. know what? I'm going to save that because that's I don't. It's too soon to launch. I'll tell you off show. Okay. But okay. the irony and the excitement of your father's transmission and you bringing this to all of us, let's go more on awareness. It's just to me, I'm like, thank you, thank you, Maury. Thank you, thank you, Rob. So anyways, keep going about awareness. Because really it, cool. it's yeah. like a masterpiece. And it's so exciting for me because I'm in the moment of like taking my body of work. And I've decided that so many people on earth with... of all lifelong mental health issues started before age 14, 75% before age 24. I'm an adoptive mother. My son's birth mom, she's thriving now, but in her genetic history, there's two generations of suicide completion. So I, as a mother who adopted this amazing charismatic soul, which I hope you get to meet. Mm. And then also with the humility of having 45,000 hours of patient care and knowing that I integrate this year, father's book, is like a companion to the children's song in the first book that I'm writing or Ascension Experience with my trio, which by the way, you're going to love this. My trio of co-creators is Beverly Bergman, who's 79 going on 40. Oh, wonderful. And Emily Eddins, Emily at best, who's 22 that just graduated the Berkeley School of Music. Oh, wonderful. Right here in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm co-creating. She's there in Boston now and up until the summer, then she's going to come back here. Oh, she'll be moving back to LA when you're moving back to LA. And I'm in Boston now. We could meet here. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So with this, with humility and gratitude back to awareness, 
Yeah, and but also exactly- I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna add a little addendum here because I mean he doesn't talk about it in the book directly, but gratitude is definitely a huge part of the underlying theme of what he's writing. And as you well know, if that is your fundamental outlook on life gratitude for being alive, gratitude for all the experiences and all the wonderful people in your life, then it completely changes your outlook on life and your whole experience of it. As you know, what you bring to the table completely defines the kind of experience that you have. And if more people could feel the kind of gratitude that you feel and that you're trying to engender in people, then we would have a very, very different world. And I think that that is crucial for the country that we live in and the world that we live in today. So I just wanted to add that. But let me get back to the awareness just briefly because no, 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 I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna interrupt you now. I have okay. I want you to know you're getting to know me. Yeah. I even have something called the shush yourself. Right. And please take it as a compliment. I understand. My yeah. level of excitement of meeting you is like Meow. okay, so I'm gonna shush myself and now please go. <laughs> okay, no problem. No problem at all. So yeah, just about as we were talking about awareness, and as you said, there's even chapters with those headings, this is a crucial aspect of this book, because to understand what my father's writing and to also, you know, implement some of the things that he suggests, you are almost by definition going to increase your awareness. And of course, he writes about it directly, and it's also the an undercurrent in the book. And for example, since you've read the book, you know, my father suggests strongly that you learn to meditate. And this is actually something that's really important for seniors. There's been a number of studies done and they have come to different conclusions, but all of them have concluded that um, seniors who meditate live generally between three and five years longer than people who don't meditate. So it's a really crucial um, insight in the book. And it's, you know, right in line with everything we're talking about. If you start to meditate, it's almost impossible not to increase your awareness. And, and that's something that, that's so important. And I'll just add, since we've been talking about it, my father, he would not have said that he was a Buddhist or that he practiced any one religion, but he definitely read Eastern philosophy um, all throughout his life. And it's probably what also attracted me to it. And Towards the end, his last 10 years, he practiced meditation more and more um, strongly and read more and more and became more and more attracted to Buddhist thought. And, you know, he even has little stories in Tuesdays with Mori, which are essentially Buddhist stories or Buddhist parables. Um, There's a little bit less so in this book, though the undercurrent is there because, ironically, you know, Tuesdays with Mori came out first. But this book was actually written before that one chronologically. So he's in a little bit different stage of his development. But that that whole theme of awareness and moving towards uh, at least understanding a Buddhist perspective is an undercurrent in this book. Well, it's more it's your father's ability to translate the written word into just being with a capital B and a capital E. And I, in 2015, I wrote a spiritual shout out to the universe about loving all kind, L-O-V-E-A-L-L-K-I-N-D, all capitalized. And that meant all sentient beings. And the and beyond part of Embrace Your Neurostyle and Beyond 
the linear language, I know that you love it and you also are so gifted in your creative arts and all the ways you've used your gifts. The linear language in one soundbite of you and I talking does not capture the multidimensionality of the human understanding. Right. That's and whenever we say Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Catholicism, Ooh. being agnostic, there okay. creates a division instead of unifying. Mm, that's the thing I love about your father and his paradigm progression pioneer, which he already was knocking out of the park in the 1950s, but his ability to be so relatable. Right. So like, let's just have a cup of coffee with Maury. Right. Let's just have a discussion. So there wasn't this, I'm full professor. Can you just talk about the essence of your dad? Just what it's like to actually be with him and talk with him? Right. Well, what you're saying again is absolutely perfectly correct. And my father doesn't use any, you know, terms or, or specific religions or systems of thought. He's relating to people you know, his ideas without any, any of those big ideologies imposing on them. Not that he's not taking wisdom and, and knowledge from some of the things that have been discovered in those, those ways of thinking, but he's not imposing them on people. And I think that that was very important. And to answer your question, yeah, I mean, this was my dad's whole thing. He taught courses on group process and identity and all of these kinds of things. And he loved nothing better than to sit with somebody and to find out about them, to, to learn about them and, and to relate to him, to relate with, with them. That was basically his, his whole life. And I think that's what comes through so strongly both in this book as you've uh, mentioned, and also in Tuesdays with Maury. I think that that's what made Tuesdays with Maury such a gigantic, you know, blockbuster, is that people really felt like, this is a guy I'm sitting down talking to, just like Mitch. It's not some professor or somebody who has some highfalutin ideas, you know. And yeah, I mean, it was wonderful to talk to. He was incredibly related as, I mean, that was a word that he used all the time, related as, and also as you've um, pointed out, the, the phrase stay human, you know, stay related to other people. That, that's what it meant, you know, understand that we all have the same human experience, whatever our differences in views or race or gender or age or whatever, we all have the basically the same human experience and we're all can relate to that. And that was the sort of the basis of my dad's life. Definitely. Rob, throughout the years and you and your mom really making this come to life, I know you gave her credit about her intelligence and who she is. Mm. When did you have the idea Take us on a bit of a journey of your ideas for this book to be birthed now and also emotionally what it was like for you to do these deep dives and any breaks you needed to take or what was your process of editing and, and honoring the legacy of your father? Sure, sure. Well, I think you'll understand this. I mean, it was a very natural process. I discovered the book. I had to have many long discussions with my mother about if we could publish this book and how we could publish it and if she would participate in the process. And at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, since uh, it's so, my dad is so present in this book and you can hear his voice so clearly, um, I had to probably grieve 
for a second time when I was doing this book, perhaps more properly. It took me a long time to properly grieve for my father because we were so close and it was such a, a shock that I didn't really register that it was such a shock when he got sick and he passed away and I was in Japan and I was just starting my journalism career and it was very exciting being in Japan and being a journalist and experiencing all sorts of new things. So it took me a long time to sort of realize like, oh, I need to grieve uh, properly for this. And yeah, it was a very, very long process in editing the book, but I feel like it was a natural one and that it just feels like the time is right for this book. I mean, would it have been as right whenever in the past it could have been published? I mean, that's impossible to say, but I feel the time is right now. We live in a society where people really need to hear these things about staying related to each other, about um, compassion, about increasing awareness, about creating a spiritual outlook towards the world without attaching it to one ideology. Right. I think that the that's something that we really need right now. Well, loneliness is the most known suffering mm. of all generations mm. in this moment of now as we speak. Every generation since the last since the late nineties has had increased suicidal ideation. And it's a really tricky time to be alive because mm technology is outpacing what the humanistic compassion, multi-sensory human experience is. And we're living in a time where we, I was just talking to Kashif Khan, who is founder of the DNA way. And we were discussing how in the next decade, what's going to happen in media and already is happening with artificial intelligence. And so we had, this is even predating the AI that's, that's here. Even in the last decade, so many people can be with one another online, but there's a sense of lack of that interconnectedness and mm. reverence mm. Mm. of holding the sacred space. And, mm. and just so you know, I plan to do things in video and documentaries, but I've decided to build my library with my podcast. And I think that voice is really neat too, because sometimes we can get distracted by if someone's really good looking or or what, however we look that day, if our hair's messy or what's their outfit. So that reverence of the vibrational frequency of what it's like to be human, Mm. I feel like it's like almost like humans have taken each other for granted. Mm. Mm. So how do we get away from loneliness and go more into humanness, into reverence and what sensory perception does that look like? And how do our youth who only know electronics Experience, and we're also rolling out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So these are this book to me, and I feel like there's a master class of post wisdom of Maury mm-hmm. that is a multi generational deep dive on loneliness. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, as we've discussed, that that's a key to this book is making connections with other people, and that that connects all of the things we've been talking about relatedness compassion, awareness, it connects them all. I mean, it is a very ironic situation in society today where we have this incredible digital interconnectedness. I can, you know, contact anybody in the world instantaneously, yet at the same time, we're more lonely and more isolated 
than we've ever been. You know, that that's an incredible irony and paradox. And, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this. In, in many ways, paradox is the nature of the human existence. You know, love and isolation exist together. And it's just a matter of which we, we choose to focus on. Um, but, yeah, I think that my father would be absolutely encouraging people to meet face-to-face. I mean, I, as you say, you can get distracted by how somebody looks, but that, that I don't think that's such a problem. I think meeting and connecting on a physical face-to-face level is something that my father would encourage people, you know, get out of your house, meet people, don't rely on digital technology. And, you know, it may be an uphill battle, but I think that, that, that people can do it, you know? Since you are here and this is your father's, thank you, Maury, and thank you, Rob, and thank you. What's your mom's first name? Charlotte. Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, I'm all about gratitude. Everyone knows gratitude is my secret sauce. So I want to honor time, but I also want to see there's other windows into your father's life experiences or anything you, you know, from a legacy standpoint in this interview today would want us to know about your dad or anything that you, that we haven't covered. I know we want everyone to read the book and it's not just about reading the book. I would say if you get this book, cherish it and like look at different parts of the book and read it at your own time. It's not something to just power through. It's something to enjoy and like ingest. Right. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, there's two things I want to say. One about the book. Um, Yeah. What I've been asked on how to best, you know, take in this book. And I really do think that, that the best way is possibly in the beginning, maybe read it cover to cover. You don't have to, you know, study it, but make little post-it notes on things that you find interesting or things that you think may help you. And then once you finish the book, go back to the post-it notes and read, because there's a lot of sections which you can meditate on, which you can ponder or just enjoy. So it's it's probably best um, understood that way, that you can read it cover to cover, but then go back and, and look at specific sections, things that speak to you. And I think that that's one of the, the ways that the book can be most powerful for people. And then there's one thing that I want to say, which is related to my dad's legacy, but is not directly related to him, which is that, as we've discussed, we have a real mental health crisis in this country today, and probably in the world as well. But, you know, we know this country more than the world. And so I'm working with two other great producers. We're going to put on a benefit festival in 2024. All of the money is going to go to mental health groups across the country and um, we're going to have a lot of educational information there. It's called OneTopia, O-N-E-T-O-P-I-A, OneTopia. We have a website up, OneTopia.com. We started a foundation. It's all, all of us are working as, you know, um, uh, volunteer to put on this festival. Nobody's getting paid. And we hope to put on a major music festival in 2024 in the Los Angeles area. So I'll certainly keep you informed about that. And I think your listeners will be very interested. And, you know, we're also, in addition to the to the festival, which is be, you know, whatever, a two or three day affair, we're going to continue the foundation and try and help people and disperse uh, education and funds to, to um, combat this mental health crisis that we have in this country. With absolute honor i next month in june i'm devoting the whole entire month to creativity fuels the soul which is another series i have 
I would love to really elevate and celebrate who you are as a creator, producer, and we're both very passionate about that interface. And I'm really grateful that you're moving to LA. I have people I was, I have more to say about that, that everyone probably knows that's listened to the shows, but I'd love to elevate and celebrate any way I can help. Absolutely. And I'd love to interview you next month and then meet you. But I also have people in the music industry, as do you, and some people that this really warms their heart. So I'm excited to be a part of it however I can in prayer and gratitude and also interview you more because I feel like this is what the world needs. We just need more of this and we need everyone to do their part. And it's, 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 we all matter. So, and that's Maury. I mean, oh my gosh. Maury would be so excited to be at that event. Yeah, I think so. I think so. What, well, wait, thought, what kind of music did your, your dad like? I mean, he liked all kinds of music. People are really surprised to know that, I mean, he liked popular music of the era. So going from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, all kinds of music. He loved classical music. He loved folk music. He loved blues quite a lot leading into rock and roll. He loved jazz basically liked all different kinds he loved opera i have to say my father's musical taste was wider and than my own i mean wow. i'm not really a big opera fan or classical music but he loved those things in addition to all of the music from the 60s into the 70s into the 80s it's mentioned i think in tuesdays with maury i don't think dad mentions it in this book but um there was a collective in cambridge called dance free where it was basically taking um, the ability to dance freely out of a club or that kind of environment and just putting it in a very free environment. It was held in a church and, you know, it cost like $3 and they would play all sorts of different types of music. And my father would do this, you know, every week or every month for most of his life while he was able to, you know. So he loved to dance and he loved all different types of music. Oh my goodness. Okay. One more thing that just came to my mind. Did your dad write you handwritten letters? You know, um, I have some letters. A lot of them have been lost because obviously I was living in Japan and I have to say, you know, everybody has their personal quirks. My father's handwriting was pretty abysmal. So most of the letters from my parents are written by my mother, who, of course, had this pristine, beautiful handwriting. So I have letters from her, and I have a few notes and things written by my dad, hard hard to read. But I have lots of other things, mainly from towards the end of his life. Uh, when he was ill with ALS, of course, we knew he wasn't going to be around that much longer. So I set up... Uh, a video camera and I shot hours and hours of video of him. So I have lots and lots of video from around the time he was ill. He also made some recordings, which I have. Um, so I have a bunch of stuff, but going when's the way last back time to- you've, when's the last time you've listened to those or watched those? Oh, I, I watch him pretty regularly. Uh, most of them are him interacting with people, having people over and talking to them. I have one with his meditation teacher, there's a oh. wonderful meditation center in Cambridge called Cambridge Insight Meditation. I think that's what it's called. Am I getting the name right? I hope I'm getting the name right. Um, and uh, it's um, a place that has been existed for a long time. My father's teacher is there. She's still there. I have an hour. What's her name? 
Um, her name is Narayan. Wow. Narayan Liebson. And she's there at, I think it's called Cambridge Insight Meditation. I don't know why I'm unsure on the name right there. It's been there for decades. My father's actually very good friends, was very good friends with the founder, Larry Rosenberg, who is still there. And um, I have an hour of, of videotape with her, of all kinds of other friends. I have videotape of Mitch with my father. Oh my and, and Mitch's wife, Janine, singing to my father, which is an episode that Mitch describes in the book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That just, I just, I, you're, uh, the way my sensory perception is my, yeah, I perceived that I was supposed to ask you something about that. So I just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> there you go. Well, you got it. You got it. And, okay. Uh, well, how can I, so, yes. okay. I'm reholding the book. By the way, yeah. I did reorder. I have got the 10-year edition of Tuesdays with Maury. Oh, there's uh, a 20 and a 25-year edition oh, as well. Which I'll send you the 25-year edition. We, okay. I think it's 25 years. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've got the 10th anniversary edition. There's a bunch okay. of anniversary editions. Okay. I'm holding the wisdom of Maury in my hands, and it's the wisdom of Maury living and aging creatively and joyfully. Maury Schwartz, edited by Rob Schwartz, with love and insight from Charlotte. Mm. And I just had this incredible time with you. I'm actually, I have a multiplicity of feelings. I have happiness, joy, um, tears, but they're like tears of gratitude. So they're not mm. like sad tears. Mm. And I just want to say that this book touched my heart, your father. I can feel his wisdom. I'm grateful to your family. And I'm so lovely spending time with you today. Oh, well, the feelings are mutual and I'm grateful to you. And obviously your insight and all of the wonderful work you do in the world. And yeah, it's so necessary in today's, in today's world. So I'm grateful to you. And I'll just add one thing, because I know you have tons and tons of listeners who are going to appreciate this book. If you appreciate the book, if it, if it means something to you, if it helps you in any ways, please write a review on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you review books, because it's so important that as the way that you can contribute and participate in the whole wisdom of Maury thing that is happening now. Thank you for mentioning that. That's really important. That's something I need to work on asking people because that's how the, Oh, are you there? Hi. Okay. So it looks like right now Robert's call just dropped. So basically everything you want to know, about this is at the wisdom of Maury. I'll put the link in and I'm going to ask Rob Schwartz to come back and be here next month. Okay. Thank you everyone. I really appreciate it.